0: Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching pastor here. If this is your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. Welcome to everyone, though, and welcome to uh, the official new members of the family, the people who joined this morning, Grace Community Church. Uh, I, I hope you were as glad as I was to welcome them Uh, into the family. They've been part of the family for a a while, some of them several months, some of them even years. But it's glad to see them pledge that commitment to the body. Uh, There was something about, you know, Bert typically stands up here and the people sort of look at him. And he said this morning beforehand, I'm going to go down front. And as they were looking at us, it was like the seriousness of this moment. And I know some of you we're probably thinking, well, it's not like I'm getting married or something, but it's close. The covenant commitment that you make to a body of believers is taken very seriously in heaven. No such thing as, or there's no place in, in the New Testament that it talks about membership, but it is very much implied. The commitment, To the body is just the same commitment that my elbow has to the rest of my body. That's what the Lord has designed for us. And it was beautiful to see people answer difficult questions. Do you confess that you are nothing without God? Do you pledge to support this body with your tithes and offerings, with your gifts, with your time? Do you pledge... To be submissive to the elders. Those are hard questions in our day. We're going to be talking a lot about how the kingdom of God is so different from worldly kingdoms. But thank you for being willing to do what the majority of us have already done and welcome to our family. I, I suppose one of the things that I'm I'm looking most forward to is to see where God uses these different people in our body we're all gifted in different ways you know you do things that I could never do some of you say I don't know how you do that you stand up there and preach but it just seems so natural for me to be up here for a couple of hours every Sunday and preach (laughs) I'm just kidding those of you who are here for the first well sort of I'm just uh kidding uh, last weekend, Jonathan came home. He was with us. He was quite sick and was having some tests, and those tests got extended. And Some of you knew about it, and you were praying. They, they came back all clear, so thank you very much, those of you who were praying for Jonathan. But one of the things that I, I just chuckled as he said it, he said, I have a friend of mine who went home for the weekend. And I asked him how his weekend was. And he said, all I did was help my parents with the computers and with the phones and with the television. You know, it's all I did. All weekend long. I didn't, you know, I didn't think quickly enough. Don't you just, your best stuff comes too late, doesn't it? And so, I wish I'd have said, I wonder how much time they helped him with insurance and bank accounts and doctor's appointments and cars and things like this. You know, look, we we all have our strengths. We all... Are, are dependent on other people. Uh, when it comes to technology, I am absolutely helpless, hopeless. It's, thank God David Calvert works in our office. I mean, sometimes, though I'll ask him a question, he starts to go into, uh, you know, uh, uh, an explanation, and I just want to go into the fetal position and say, oh, can you can't you just do that? You know, there are other times I'll say, hey, David, explain this to me. Now, look, I'm going to sit here. You tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he starts to tell me. And finally, I just get up and say, would you just go ahead and and do that? Because it's just beyond me. Um, So let me ask you. We've all got our gifts. But when you come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm using the gift that God has given me for whatever reason. What is it that you're expecting to hear in a sermon? What are you looking for in in a sermon? I heard a pastor uh, mentoring a young man one time uh, who was desiring to become a pastor. And he was preaching and he, and, and he said, I finally, I just got so frustrated. I, I, I said, I'm going to tell you one last time. Tell me what you want me to know and tell me what you want me to do. Now, that's not terrible advice, I I, I think it would be more biblical to say, tell me what the text says and what I'm supposed to do with it because that's how God is speaking to me in this moment and how it is he wants me to respond to the text. Now, in our formula-driven society, I suppose most people on Sunday mornings are looking for answers to such questions as, is there help for me? Or how can I live my life in such a way that it's going to benefit me and others? And if I pose these questions in a particular way, they would seem extremely self-centered. In fact, I'm certain all of you, some of you, not all of you, but some of you were immediately saying, no, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Isn't our first task to glorify God? And I would say to you, yes, it is. But that's not what most of us are looking for at church on Sunday morning. Now, most of us are not coming necessarily uh, looking to to, to hear um, five practices for a successful business. Though we might hope to hear five ingredients for a successful marriage. That's not exactly how Scripture works, though. It's how America works. And there's enough similarity in what Scripture says about work ethic... And responsibility, uh, and success, in order to make it work for us within structures that are familiar to us. You understand what I'm saying? We we devise structures because this is how we live our lives, and so consequently, God's got a, it's, he's got a very similar system. It's just it's just a better system. What do you want me to know, and what do you want me to do? Again, it's not the worst approach to Scripture if I give it the authority it deserves. But again, one more time, let's try to come at that from a different angle. Maybe a better set of questions would be, what is God saying to me and what am I supposed to believe? Because the life of of a Christ follower has far more to do with better believing than it does better behavior. Better behavior always follows better believing, but not necessarily the other way around. If you focus on your behavior, your belief system may actually, your belief may structure in that, well, okay, I think I've got this. God is faithful to let us know that we don't have it. But if we believe as we should, then He will work in and through us. So, What does God want me to believe, and in what ways will that impact the way that I live my life? Now, this may all sound like semantics to you, but over time, it will make a significant difference in whether your life as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus, is driven by an attempt to keep the law, or whether it is gospel-saturated, which is ultimately the only path to sanctification. For your life to be gospel saturated, what does that mean well we 're going to talk about it this morning 's text is is not as mark nine thirty through fifty and it 's centered on the cross in other words it 's gospel saturated it also has a lot to do with the ways that disciples of Christ should think and live, but that 's the way all scripture flows, so it shouldn 't be surprising. Now, as has been noted several times, we've talked about the Gospel of Mark. We're on our way through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, It was the Apostle Peter who was behind this uh, Mark's Gospel. And, And it was structured in such a way that the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is more in theological forms than it is chronological forms. Want to talk about this? Want to talk about this? So far, the text has flowed fairly chronologically it's going to change a little bit today, where there are a lot of um, different teachings of Jesus in this section that that we 're about to see, and they are it's going to appear chronological, but as best everybody that studies these kinds of things can tell <coughs> it's just a collection of sayings that are arranged in such a way to 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 cover one primary focus, and that is, what is the life of a disciple like? Remember, one of the primary themes of Mark's gospel is discipleship, so I've titled the message today, Instructions for Disciples, which may sound a lot like five ways for disciples to live, but... It's not, it's again, it's, it, it, it flows, all of this flows from the cross. When there's a lot of territory to cover, um, lots of different ways of approaching it. I, I thought about making the cross a center and say the cross will lead us to live such a way, the cross means this, the cross means that. But in, in spirit of the rather large amount of ground covered in this text that is theologically Connected, It seemed best for me to list a number of of truths that we're going to see in this text and go through those first and then come to the text. That's kind of backwards from what we usually do, which is read the text, understand it, apply it. But hopefully you'll see the way that these principles, these truths that are found and then the reading of the text merge in helpful ways for us. So we're going to pray and then begin. Father, we are so grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus. And we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, even as I prepare these messages, moment by moment, that it's about Jesus and what he does for me, not about what I do for him. You are pleased and blessed when I serve you. But even that is because of my union with Christ. So may Jesus be exalted when you look at us. May you see him. and Be pleased. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In a few minutes we'll work our way through the text. Here's what we're going to discover when we get there. First of all. If you do not value your time with Jesus above serving him. You're going to miss what he wants you to know. We are a nation of doers. Production equals success. Or the right kind of production. But one thing for sure, you cannot be successful if you are not productive. How many of us say, Allison and I say all the time, how was your day? It was productive. You know, we just, we, we, we fall into those kinds of patterns of thinking, but Jesusly, Jesus consistently, you t- see this gift I'm talking about. I'm saying all kinds of things like Jesusly, that's that's short for Jesus consistently. Jesus consistently operated in a way that is inconsistent with the American way of life. Instead of making certain that the media was on hand whenever he would perform miracles. He took people off to, the, to, to, to a private place to heal them. And what did he tell them? Over and over and over, he said, make sure you don't tell anybody. And whenever the crowds grew, when, whenever the crowd swelled, what did he do? He got his disciples, he said, come away with me to a private place. And he was constantly trying to get alone with them. If I am so conserved... Concerned about serving Jesus. Man, I'm shortening. Oh, I'm saving time today. Actually, I'm taking extra time. If I'm so concerned about serving Jesus that I fail to meet with him and his word in prayer. Then I end up building my own kingdom. I should be asking, what does he want to teach me? There's a great deal of instruction that we're going to read in a moment in this passage. And at the heart of the teaching is the cross. Over and over in the middle part of Mark, Jesus teaches his disciples about the cross. Not only does he imply that he will be executed by crucifixion, but he calls each of his followers, each of his, not only his, his 12 disciples, but all of those who are following him to pick up his or her cross and to follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me didn't make much sense at all to the disciples at the time, but that was true of of a great deal of Jesus' teaching that would become much clearer to them after Jesus' resurrection in Pentecost. Galatians 2.20, man, I've been able to spit this verse off in various translations for years and years. I cannot tell you how profound this verse seems to me now. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, how how much could you tell about God from this one verse? We like to talk about What we do for God. Scripture talks about what He does for us. Including the good works that we perform in His name. Now, we tend to go one of two ways as believers. Either we get full of ourselves or we we loathe ourselves. But think about this. The most significant thing in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is not your sin. It's Jesus' death and forgiveness. It's his death on the cross and his forgiveness of you. That is the most significant thing in your life. What Jesus has done for you. You are united with Jesus in his death. You are united with him in his resurrection. Anything good that happens in your life or in my life happens When he is in control. When I'm in control. Wow that's a mess. And I can go. From him being in control. To me being in control. In a New York minute as they say. Just like that. Dying to self is going to be at the heart. Of everything else that is taught. About discipleship in this passage. One thing to note from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. We can't even do that. You ever tried to crucify yourself? You'd only get part of the job done, you know? You can't. Even that has to be Him. Die into self is something that he accomplishes in and through me. And if that's difficult for you to understand, the next instruction is for you. A lack of understanding is never a reason to walk away from Jesus. Just think of all the times that the disciples had it all figured out until they didn't. I mean, you know, I've got it. Uh, Actually, not only do I not have it, I don't have a clue. Does that sound like you? at any point in your christian life i mean there've been a lot of times when i was sure that i had god's ways his truth and his in his ways figured out and then something crazy happened or i understood scripture a particular passage more fully or horrors i understand it differently than i ever have before in my life and it's like <laughs> I thought this meant that, but now I see that it, that it means this. Why is that such a common experience for disciples? Well, He is God, we are not. And we need to constantly be reminded that we are dependent creatures. <clears throat> that apart from Him working in us, and it's one of the reasons I think He allows this slow progression for us. To where we understand scripturally, di- scripture differently. There it is. Another abbreviation. Scripture differently than we did before. I'm not going to uh, point it out anymore. You just keep up track of them if you would. You can, you know. You... Linda's father had rather an extensive vocabulary. My first wife Linda. And she would write down the words that she didn't know in church. And then she'd look them up. So good luck with that today. That's all I've got to say. Um. So, and my vocabulary is extensive, but not in the same way, I think, maybe. Uh, When I have it all figured out, it's a good time for God to remind me I don't. Redeemed, yes, I am, but dependent still. And you know what? I hope that my most profound discoveries in Scripture are in the future. I hope there when I'm done ministering in the way that I am now, I hope that I never stop learning and that I see God expanding all the time in front of my eyes because I understand more and more of his word even if I I am very careful to try not to preach myself into a corner. You may think that I'm very dogmatic sometimes, but I really Try to leave room for growth in my life. So that I don't have to come back and say, you know, I really miss this. But I would far rather do that. I would far rather do that than to just pretend like it's still the way that I thought it was back then. And just keep on preaching that way. I'll never get to a place where I can say, okay God, I'm going to take it from here. To realize that you've been understanding scripture In in, in less than the best way, and living according to your faulty thinking can be quite disconcerting. Don't walk away. Disciples follow, remember? The best is yet to come, and when we follow closely, we learn that those who are of little value to the world are highly valued by Jesus. There's a child in today's text and in next week's. Text In both places, I want to encourage you, those of you who have no children at home, those of you who have only teenagers at home, I want to encourage you to help in our children's ministry where we have significant needs. That's all I'm going to say about it today. I'll say a little more about it next week. Listen, children in our day are almost worshipped. Children in Jesus' day were lightly regarded. In fact, they were almost disregarded. So when he used a living, breathing analogy to make a point that the one who would be first among his peers must be servant to them all, the disciples took note. Some of you are kinesthetic learners or kinesthetic, as my dear wife from down under would say. You learn best when you can see the illustration or you can see the lesson in front of you. Jesus taught in all kinds of manners. And here's one where he took a child, he put it right in among them, and he says, you want to be first, be like this child. Wow, they didn't know what to do with that. Uh, f- funny you should say that, Jesus. We were just discussing uh, who among us would be the greatest. You know, I keep talking about the American way of life and how it's so... Uh, often confused with God's way of doing things. It's really the human way that is opposed to God's way. The American way is simply the human way with money. That's just all we are, which makes us more arrogant, by the way. Here's the truth about embracing God's way. The way you treat others will indicate whether or not you believe what Jesus taught. Uh, Or we could say this this way, I want to be called a servant. Just don't treat me like one. I want to play the game, but at my core, I'm just like everyone else. I compare myself with others. I take note of my position in the pack. Life is about working hard to move forward, is it not? Not if you're a disciple of Jesus. Life in the kingdom is always counterintuitive. Except that once you embrace it, and you live like that. You begin to recognize this, was the way, this is the way life was always designed to be. But it's hard to get over the hump of living the ways that Jesus leads us to live. Care for others' needs above your own. Let others receive the attention and praise. Defer to others whenever you get the chance. You can't always live that way, of course. There are times where you have to take a stand, you have, to, you have to do what has to be, you have to do the right thing. But defer, care, give wherever you can. Just think of what it would be like if we live this life as servants. Servants. a slave. Is what he's talking about. A bond slave. Who had no rights. Just lived. For others. Because it was his position. In life. If we live that way. We would show ourselves to be Jesus servant. But even therein lies danger. Which is the point of the next. Instruction. You're not the only one who's got it right. Get over yourself. I've already made. Made. The case for the importance of humility in Bible study. Always being open to growing and understanding Scripture. I found that the more I learn about Scripture, the, the, the more that I know I don't know. The less I know almost. The more you know, the less you know. And I have also found that there's a greater and greater temptation to arrogance. So with the, on the one hand, I'm saying... Wow, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. But on the other hand, but I know a lot more than you know. I mean, I want to think that I know God's word and God's ways better than others. So let me speak to this particular scripture about a particular issue in scripture. If you want to learn something, that is. The funny thing is that I've struggled with this. Oh, I think I've got it figured out. Every step of the way, except maybe those first few years of being a believer, a follower of Christ, you know, when I learned so much, I'm like, whoa, wow, this is amazing. But it reaches a point where you start thinking, well, okay. I believe I'm beginning to understand this better than old Drew does, you know. So uh, uh, thank you, Drew, for your conversation. Let me speak to this It's true that I'm far more open to recognizing the validity of other denominations than I was before. And yet, it's just in me to have these exclusive thoughts. When I say me, I'm certainly talking as an individual. I want you to think, you know, I really work at all of this and ask the Lord to help me with this. But I'm talking about us as a body of believers too. You know, we're the only ones that have it. We're the only ones that have it right. Now, are there measuring sticks? Absolutely there are. Accuracy and authority of Scripture. Gospel over works, yes. But there are a lot, going to be probably a lot more people there in heaven than we think there will be. Maybe that's not your problem. Maybe Maybe your struggle is wondering whether or not your efforts mean anything. I mean, who am I? I could never be what this person is, that person is. Well, according to our text, small acts of service bring the same reward as preaching the gospel. The, the church is as bad as any other organization when it comes to elevating superstars, usually preachers and missionaries, and letting everyone, elders, deacons. And see, there you go. Are you an elder or are you just a deacon? That's the way we tend to think. God doesn't think that way at all. Look, every one of our deacons is qualified to be an elder. That's not the point. The point is how has God gifted us? Where has He placed us? In the body. But let's elevate the superstars and let everyone else find their place in the pack. If you give a cup of water in Jesus' name, though, Jesus says, you will receive... A prophet's reward. Focus your attention not on where everybody falls in the scheme of things, but on righteousness and pay attention to the final instructions in this passage. It's not a good idea to lead young believers into sin. (laughs) How bad is it? How bad an idea is it? Well, it's just as bad for you to sin or, or or to play with sin. Even though the crucified life is one in which we yield to Jesus' presence and power in our lives, we are responsible to obey Him. And it's serious business to play around with sin. You know, I, just more the last couple of years, the weight of the responsibility that I have in counseling and I mentioned this just recently, has come upon me. And I just feel like, Lord, please let these be your words. Don't let me say anything that would give somebody freedom to do something that they shouldn't do. Or to feel guilty about something that they shouldn't feel. I I have uh, this awesome sense of responsibility. So should you. You should have just as great a sense of responsibility. Do not dare lead others astray. The way that this text is structured indicates that, we live, that the way we live our lives impacts the world around us. In fact, you could go so far as to say that gospel purity restrains evil and preserves life. As Jesus disciples, we are called to be salt and light. In this passage, the focus is salt as a preservative and a restraint against evil, because evil always brings death. Now, if you've written these down, if you haven't, that's fine, you don't need to do that. But if you've written them down, keep them handy as we look through the text and see if you can identify them before I even mention them. Mark 9:30. They went on from there. And passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples. Saying to them. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill them. This is an interesting play on words. The son of man. Who is the creator of the world. Will be delivered into the hands of. Men. And they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will arise he will rise but they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him remember that didn't work out for them the last time when Peter challenged Jesus about dying and they weren't about to go there I'm sure you've noticed as we have traveled with Jesus and the disciples through Mark how very often Jesus sought to be alone with the disciples he had chosen to follow him I Meaning he was constantly trying to get with... And, and he could have been spending his entire time healing people and casting out demons and raising people from the dead. But he said, really? All that is accomplishing is affirming the message that I'm preaching. You need to hear what I'm telling you. This life is temporary. Jesus' words are life, and they have eternal implications. It's not like I'm going to say, now, I'd like to present to you one of the people that Jesus healed, you know, in Bethsaida. Uh, come on out. He's been dead 2,000 years, you know, or almost. This life Passes, But Jesus' words are life and they have eternal implications. He made time to be alone with His disciples. And if we have any hope of being a disciple of Jesus, we have to make time to be alone with Him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. If you're not a disciple... I don't get it. I mean, it's just another way of, of James saying, you say that you have faith, show me that you have faith by living this way, by your works. Our works only come through union with Christ, but when we are united with Christ, He changes our lives. The Greek word for disciple means student or devoted Follower, And we may think that our service for Jesus marks us as disciples, but it's really the time that we spend with Him that gives us status as disciples, worshiping, learning from Jesus. When we spend time with Him, we recognize that we are called to live our lives under the shadow of the cross, and that impacts everything. The cross shows that God not only descended to us to pay the price of our sin, the penalty for our sin, a penalty that we were never going to pay, but it shows us the trajectory of our lives. Theologians talk about a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. The theology of glory is one in which I work my way. I climb the ladder to get to God. I I am pursuing glory. And I can find that through reason or through personal experience or through good works. All these different ways I'm trying to get to God. But the irony is is when I'm trying to get to God through my own efforts, well, I don't have far to go. I am God. I become my own God. A theology of the cross says this. We're down here, have no hope of getting to God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if God does not descend to us... We don't know God. Does that make sense to you? It made no sense at all to the disciples. They they weren't expecting a cross at all. They were expecting to be sitting on thrones next to Jesus. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You heard that. We didn't think you, you were out of Earshot. Oh, I was, but I know. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives me not me, but him who sent me. Quite a visual Jesus gave to his followers that day. The lesson was about humility in leadership, but there was also a lesson about the weak in society. Children were disregarded in that day, and yet Jesus said that to receive him is to receive a child, or to receive a child like this is to receive him. The, the implication was that the weak and the undervalued in society, if you reject them, then in a sense, you're rejecting Jesus. So in other words, he's saying to, he would say to us in our context, rather than when you, when you walk in a room Rather than checking out who is there and who might notice you and who you want to be close to, because they are of great value to you, look around the room and and look for the weak and the undervalued. Serve them. And by the way, don't think that you're the only one who is serving Jesus in the right way. John said to him, teacher... We saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one does a mighty work in my name who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to to Christ will by no means, or because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. So here's the situation. The disciples couldn't cast out demons, even using Jesus' name, because they were trying to do it in their own strength. Now here's this guy who doesn't have the same status as the disciples, and he's successfully casting out demons in Jesus' name. And so John... Didn't like it, so he half-tattled, he half-confessed that he had tried to stop them. And Jesus rebuked John for his jealousy. That's what this is about, isn't it? Jealousy? I mean, why is it that we take offense when other people do great things for the Lord? Jesus was not condoning all religious activity, but that which was gospel-driven, gospel-based, he applauded. John condemned. Jesus essentially said, John, get over yourself. Even those who serve the Lord in the most menial ways, who offer a cup of water, To one who is serving me, it's the same as if if a prophet has doesn't say it here. Another place, he that offers a cup of water in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. So look, I'm not on one level in heaven. You're on another because I'm a I'm an elder. That's not the case. We all stand equal before God in whatever service you render oftentimes, you could probably say preferably service that is not seen. It's not only affirmed, but elevated by the Lord in the eyes of others. John didn't lose his status as Jesus' best friend on the earth, but John needed to be told by Jesus that he shouldn't be so insecure. Your security is in me, not in ministry success. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Most likely, Jesus is talking about young believers, immature believers, when he says, don't cause one of these young ones to sin. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to go... Is not quenched. These verses teach that there is a literal hell. Where there is conscious suffering. But that's not the point. Of this passage. The point is sin is serious business. And one sin is especially serious. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to be very careful how you live your life. So that others don't look at you. And think that it's okay for this. Or think that it's okay for that. And then to go astray from the Lord. You need to be very careful that when you recognize a weakness in your life. That you take measures to war against that sin. Even so remembering that it's only Jesus living in us. And our union with him that's going to enable us to get past that sin. Is it possible to succeed in not sinning? It will be when we stand face to face to Jesus. It's not so much a choice thing now. It's a nature thing. I have the nature of Christ living in me if I follow Jesus. I also have Adam in me. I will always have him until the day that that's totally eradicated and I become like Jesus, standing before him, holy Pure, clean. So, of course, I'm going to sin. And, of course, I'm going to sin in some ways that, you know, I would have been better if I'd pluck my eye out or cut my hand off. Which, of course, he doesn't mean literally. Although, the hell is literal. That's a, whole, that's a long discussion but I, that I'll be happy to attend to. And, and maybe we'll talk about that later uh, in, in a message. But because of my struggles in life, that is why I'm so dependent on the cross. Not only Jesus' death on the cross, but my willingness to take up my cross. Everything always comes back to the, to the cross. And when we live in gospel power and truth, we impact the world. Verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt is lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Salted with fire is not a phrase you hear every day. Uh, Actually, it's a phrase you don't read uh, elsewhere in Scripture. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only place this particular phrase is given. The best guess is that Mark is speaking of the purifying fire of judgment, or we could say the purifying fire of sanctification. God purifies us with His Word, with His discipline in our lives, and then the salt with which He has purified us begins to make an impact on the world around us. Salt, of course, has a a benefit as a preservative, it has benefit... As a taste enhancer, pure salt can never lose its effectiveness. It's always effective. But the salt of that day coming from the Dead Sea was mixed with impurities. And if that stuff went bad, it just wasn't, it didn't have the same impact. If you're using a whole lot of salt and you plan it to do the work that a whole block of salt would do, but it's mixed with impurities, then it really doesn't. Get the job done. The message is clear at the end of this collection of instructions for disciples. If you are a disciple of Jesus, live like it. You are Jesus to the world. Some people say things like, you're the only Jesus the world will ever see. There's some truth in that. if Jesus, if the gospel of Jesus has completely saturated our lives just as it saturates all of Scripture, then I'm more and more like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you? And there's a cross for you. And that's... That's just not easy. I mean, we'll pray just like Jesus did. Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Let's pray. Every area of your life that is a struggle, is answered at the cross. If you have been trying so hard to get this life right and you're just hoping that you'll be good enough that when God looks at you, but when you stand before him and you certainly you're not as good as some, but you're a lot better than others and maybe that's going to be enough. That's it, None of us, it'll never be enough your only hope is looking to the cross and coming face to face with your sin as Jesus takes it upon himself and takes God's wrath against sin and put your trust in him and say I believe that Jesus died for me oh Jesus save me I'm helpless I'm hopeless without you Maybe you did that a long time ago and you feel a lot more sinful than you did before you were saved. It's probably just that you're just so much more aware of your sin. But maybe there's just something that has got you. It's just, it owns you. Your your only hope is the cross. Maybe you are thrilled with what God has done in your life. And you want to serve him. Your only hope is the cross. To live dead to self and let the life and the love of Jesus flow through you. Forgiving those who have wronged you. Giving those who are lesser than you in some people's eyes a higher place than yourself. Serving the body as you've been called to do. Reaching out to those who don't know Jesus and not only telling them about the cross, but showing them the cross with your life. Caring more about others than what they think of you. Than caring about what they think of you. That's all cross kind of stuff. When others humiliate you or seek to humiliate you. When others betray you. When others disappoint you. Go to the cross. Father, your plan seems ridiculous to those who don't believe. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, it is offensive to the Greeks. It's ridiculous to think that the Savior of the world would die on a Roman cross to those who believe it is the power of God and the salvation. Father, I confess that Adam has far more prominence in my life than I wanted to. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live a faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me live in that place, Lord. And all the truth that surrounds it. Let me die to self. So that Jesus' life. Might be illuminated in me. Give us Jesus. Wherever we are, whatever our need. just you stand together? Let's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Simon Peter's words. <clears throat> You therefore, beloved, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.